the value of investments can fall as well as rise and losses may be made. Concerns around climate change and the long-term future of our planet are increasingly becoming major factors for both investors and society more broadly. Global natural resources stocks are often overlooked by investors, but today I'm sitting down with Tom Nelson, who's going to tell us why these stocks are in fact critical to the energy transition and can in fact also provide us with some inflation protection. So whilst mining stocks do seem to still be unloved by many investors, am I right in saying that they are actually very critical to this transition and there are significant structural growth tailwinds for years ahead? That's absolutely right. And I think the the opportunity here is still being uh, overlooked by many investors. Um, there is a view that mining companies and natural resources companies more broadly uh, will be marginalised um, by this transition to a lower carbon economy. But, but actually, we think the inverse is true. In other words, we're going to see structural growth for things like copper and nickel, zinc, lithium. It doesn't stop with mining, in fact, because the way that the world uh, will feed itself and, and the development and progression of sustainable agriculture, the role of ammonia, etc., is going to create we think, big opportunities in the ag sector. And actually, even within the energy sector, where there's a tendency to focus on the diminishing role of oil and gas, we, we think that oil and gas companies are going to have a key role to play, both in evolving their own business models, but also in developing things like green hydrogen. So we actually think that while most people are focused, if you like, on the negative consequences for the natural resources equity sector, that actually there is a big structural growth opportunity and, and investors are able to gain exposure to it at pretty attractive valuations. Whilst we are making um, considerable efforts to tackle climate change, fossil fuels aren't going away in the near term. This energy transition is going to take decades, not single years. So as an investor, how do you steer between this need for energy security and therefore the need for these oil and gas companies to remain well capitalised and this persistent and, if anything, increasing pressure to reduce carbon emissions? Yeah, well, it's it's incredibly complex. And I think that's one of the reasons why uh, the natural resources sector has been uh, pretty volatile in recent years. Obviously, it's been, uh, it's been in positive territory, particularly since um, the Ukrainian invasion. But I think investors, asset allocators, policymakers are grappling with with what to do here. I think one of the things that we believe very strongly as a house is that divestment uh, is not the way to go. Um, so we would encourage people to own these things and, and engage with them um, as a more effective way of driving change rather than uh, throwing them out of portfolios. But at the same time, this isn't, if you like, a, an open invitation just to go out and buy and own anything um, in the hope that you're going to make a capital return. I think we have to be judicious about analysing transition plans, about recognising that there will be natural resources companies that become uninvestable by virtue either of their corporate strategy or their balance sheet or just the stranded asset risk. Um, so there's there's a very interesting kind of dichotomy in all of that. Um, we would also observe that the, the rise um, and the growth of ESG and sustainability considerations is actually having an effect on physical markets, in other words, commodity markets. Um, and what we mean by that is that 
if you like, increasing pressure um, around permitting and uh, an increasing reluctance to invest, uh, invest and allocate capital to new supply is having a tightening effect on physical markets. And that's what's really interesting. If you think there's going to be structural growth in demand for copper, for nickel, for zinc, etc., and at the same time, the ability of the world to bring on more supply of these things is being compromised, then you get, if you like, a, a compounded effect. So decarbonisation and energy supply uh, disruption and supply and demand dynamics is essentially causing upward pressure on commodity prices, which as a team, uh, we believe is going to be a key inflationary force in the next cycle. Yeah. How do you think natural resource equities should fare in such an environment where we see inflation at persistently higher levels? Well, the history and, if you like, the statistical evidence suggests that natural resources equities are a good hedge against inflation. I mean, that's, I think, a reasonable starting point. Um, And we would generally expect that relationship and that pattern to persist. You know, one of the parts of this argument is that is, is, in a sense, circular, because very often it's upward pressure on commodity prices that causes that inflation. So it becomes somewhat as I say, circular and and self-serving. I think there's another piece to this in terms of geopolitical risk. I think what, you know, some of the events that we've seen um, around oil market uh, supply constraints um, and and potentially a tilt back in geopolitical influence towards the Middle East suggest to us that having exposure to uh, to that part of the market is going to be uh, an important uh, portfolio risk uh, help uh, and a diversifier. Um, and another thing, of course, that's that's part of the toolkit for natural resource equity investors uh, is uh, gold companies and gaining exposure to the gold price. And, and we think, again, from inflation hedging perspectives, that will be attractive. Thank you very much, Tom. This podcast is a marketing communication and is provided for general information only and assumes a certain level of knowledge of financial markets. It is not an invitation to make an investment and should not be construed as advice. The views in this podcast are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily reflect those of 91. In South Africa, 91 is an authorised financial services provider.